0: This week's episode of What Happened When Monday is all about the last Monday Nitro. And of course, we all remember that last show was March of 2001. But I've got a question for you. When is your last house payment? You see, most people get into a mortgage and they don't ever really think about what the end looks like. I'm encouraging you today to really think about how old are you going to be when you make your last house payment? How old are your kids going to be when you make your last house payment? You see, most people start their mortgage with just the beginning in mind. They know to shop for interest rates and closing costs and monthly payments but the number of payments isn't something a lot of people really think about are you going to be able to help your kids with their college tuition are you going to be able to retire on time is your mortgage going to keep you from being able to do that first family mortgage wants to get you a mortgage that makes sense for now but also helps you line up your long-term goals we'd be happy to help you find a way to save some money and if you're listening to this on monday the 13th you need to check this out today Interest rates are set to rise tomorrow. The Federal Reserve is meeting on the 14th and 15th, and they've all but said they're raising interest rates. By how much, we don't know, but we know they're going up. If you've got a home equity line of credit, if you've got an adjustable interest rate, if you've got credit card debt, you owe it to your family to call First Family right now. The call's toll-free, and if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. At 888-425-0105, or just get yourself a quick quote right now on our website. It's 1fmc.com, or maybe even better yet, email me your scenario that's right me conrad thompson my email address is conrad at 1fmc.com or if you're on twitter just feel free to send me a direct message anyone can it's at hey hey it's conrad we'd love to help you find a way to save some money and if we can't save you some cash we won't waste your time nmls number 65084 equal housing opportunity lender check it out right now 1fmc.com let's get to it what happened when monday this is the mlw Radio network Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When... Monday, right here on the MLW Radio Network, and our master of ceremonies, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, Conrad, uh, I want to ask a question. We I, I saw on Twitter uh, someone said, uh,
1: Shouldn't we call it What Happened When with Tony Schiavone? And I said, Eh, probably not. You could uh, call it What Happened When with Slapdicks. You could do that. <laughs> But I appreciate them wanting to put my name out there. I, I was never always a, a big one about my name having my name out there. I know your response to that tweet was you can't spell his fucking name anyway.
0: Yeah, that's the idea, you know. And I know yeah. a lot of people get smart ass about that, but for goodness sake, when we tried that with Bruce Pritchard, people were putting a T in his name. And if you can, if the masses will fuck up Pritchard, uh, Shivani has no shot. I, I have <laughs> seen your name spelled at least a dozen different ways and if we we're going to try to hang our hat on P- on wrestling fans being able to spell Shivani, we'd yeah. be screwed because there's so many graphics from even Turner's organization where it would show your face and you're in your jacket hold your microphone and your fucking name's misspelled. If the company really? can't misspell it, I mean can misspell it then how can we expect our fans to? Goodness gracious. Well, yeah, a couple of, Well, first of all, a lot of people in Turner were a bunch of fuck-ups and that's well documented
1: so that that's no problem with that. Also, someone asked me one time, "Is Shivani a stage name?" Yeah, like you and would I fucking said, pick that. That's exactly what I said.
0: Why would I pick Shivani for a stage name? You, you'd be like Tony Jones or Tony Microphone or Tony Microphone, Tony Talent. <laughs> Couldn't be that. Hey, it's Tony Good. Microphone here. Good to talk to you guys. That's hey, what's your- up? Uh,
1: I hope everyone's having a great week. I know this is a week of uh, not having to do with wrestling, but uh, having to fill out your brackets for your NCAA tournament. Uh, I always fill out one, uh, but I never join a group. I mean, I never join a group of friends. I always join
0: a group of people I don't know. You know what? Next year, we should have a bracket. Bracket on on this show? For our listeners, yeah. Well, you're assuming I'm going to be alive next year at this time. <laughs> you know what? Thanks to our friends over at Blue Apron. You're eating a lot healthier. I think you're going to be around. Yes, I am eating a lot healthier at Blue Apron.
1: Not only that, you know what's great about Blue Apron, Conrad, is that it's cooking great food from scratch. And, and, and I make a, a, a lot of fun about my wife, Lois, and give her a hard time. And most of it she certainly deserves. But she is really having a good time putting this food together.
0: Yeah, you tweeted uh, some pictures out that really blew my mind. What was that picture uh, of?
1: Uh, that was a chicken dish that I can't pronounce.
0: Bok choy uh, or but something like that? it had like marinated that? carrots
1: with it, bok choy, and some barbecue-type sauce, and some rice. And it was all, she put it together in about 40 minutes, uh, and it, it, it was spectacular. And uh, we, we, we realized that it's costing us probably less than $10 per meal.
0: Outstanding. How about that? Outstanding.
1: That is outstanding. That that beats going out and, and going out uh, to get some dry food. And then someone tweeted me out that says, "Oh, that reminds me of a food that I saw back on the in the freezer back in the '80s." And they showed a picture of it. And I said, "Buddy, this is fresh food that you make yourself. You make from scratch." And you know, they say that uh, I, I've seen some things where some uh, from some friend of ours who, who do Blue Apron. Uh, the husband and wife said, "Oh, we we cook them together. We, and, and that's a nice thing. But I'm letting Lois do it all herself.
0: <laughs> it still <laughs> tastes great, no matter who cooks it. We love it. Uh, we invite our friends to check
1: out this week's menu. You get your first three meals free with free shipping. I want to I want to uh, repeat that again because that's pretty spectacular. First three meals free with free shipping. Here's where you go: blueapron.com/slash Tony." I'm sure you can spell that T O N Y. You have to spell Shimani there. You love how good it feels, it tastes. Create home cooked meals that are incredible with Blue Apron. That's blueapron.com slash Tony. Remember, Blue Apron, Conrad, is a
0: better way to cook, and we are proof of it here at the Shimani Household. Well, man, that's exciting. You know, if it's got Lois cooking, uh, I imagine that those people are doing the Lord's work. Check out blueapron.com. So one of the things that happened over the last week, man, uh, is we got lots of feedback about Klondike Bill. And I can't tell you how many people are actually pushing us to do a Klondike Bill episode with nothing but Klondike Bill stories. I don't know that we have the opportunity to really do that here, but we do have the opportunity for you to go ahead and help live the legend that is Klondike Bill against all good advice and, and rational thought we have put together a Klondike Bill t-shirt over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Tony, you're a bit of a wordsmith. Can you describe what this shirt is all about? Well, th-
1: <laughs> I'm a bit of a wordsmith. <laughs> I'm a bit of a bullshit artist is what I am. <laughs> uh, this, uh, instead of the word Klondike, we use the word Klondike. And uh, we also put what most people who listen to this podcast remember Klondike about. And we put a caricature of a Kilbasi on there as well. So uh, we certainly hope that you get it. Enjoy it. Don't put it in your mouth and chew it because you never know when it's, where it's been once it's been laying around your house. Uh, and and enjoy Klondike Bill. With it. I got to thinking, Conrad, that... Klondike had a very, very nice, fine family, and I hope they never listen to this podcast. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they hate you.
0: <laughs> that's that's awfully nice. That's awfully nice. Uh, but here's the deal: if they give you some shit on Twitter, you can just block them. We've got a shirt that even says that: "The Great American Blocked Party: Eat, right. Sleep, Block, Repeat." And even right. uh, not the shock master, the block master. You need some of that go ahead and check out all these funny shirts and you'll know that pasta still rules brother over at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash WHW and when you pick up a shirt here Tony besides getting to support the show and styling and profiling in your brand new tee what will you do for our clients? I will give them a phone call a
1: personal phone call I have just about called everybody on my list with the exception of ones that have Uh, I have just left messages for, and I'm sorry if I missed you for those that I left messages for, I will try to call you back. It just won't be right away. Uh, but I will give you a call and we'll talk a little bit about the show. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, my past. We'll talk a little bit about Conrad. A lot of them will know. what's What's, What's this guy Conrad like? I said, oh, he's, he's a motherfucker. <laughs> and they say, well, you know, it, it's, it sounds like you guys get along. I said, yeah, we do, but he's still a motherfucker. Sure. Uh, and uh, so we, uh, we have a little uh, little talk, about a five-minute talk back and forth, and I enjoy. I, I want Conrad, everybody that I call, as you might imagine, if they buy a T-shirt from us, it means a lot. Uh, but everybody that I call, just so nice and so complimentary of, of, of us and what we're doing. And so complimentary of the old days back in WCW. And so uh, those are nice phone conversations. And I enjoy those as much as I know uh, people enjoy hearing from us. So you'll get a phone call, and hopefully uh, you'll be able to be a part of this. What Happened When? With Tony shimmy shibby, shimmy shimmy however you spell that fucking name Shimani.
0: there you go and don't forget tony has a fucking wedding to pay for pick up a shirt do it down pro right. wrestling forward slash whw and hey if you find yourself in orlando be sure to check us out you can catch tony at wrestlecon he'll be there all weekend with rf video and he's even going to be tag teaming with jim ross for jim ross's live show tell everybody where they can pick up tickets to that tony Uh, that's a ticket
1: fly ticket fly you can pick up tickets for that uh that show that i'm going to be on with him is going to be on saturday the first uh and i'll be with him and paul o'brien who is the uh the co-author of his uh, new book uh and that's also going to be at the plaza live in orlando uh with jim ross and jim ross's ringside with jr i think is what it calls i always call him jim ross because that's what i remember him as and i know he Uh, Most uh, fans remember him as good old J.R., but uh, to me it's Jim, and I look forward to that. Jim and I do uh, stay in contact a lot. Uh, We text back and forth. We talk on the phone, uh, and uh, so I look forward to being uh, with him uh, face-to-face and and being able to talk to the fans. It's going to be a great weekend, uh, Conrad. It really is, and I'm very excited about it. I'm excited that that this podcast is kind of – and this is another thing I get feedback-wise – This podcast, uh, from the fans, they all say, glad you're back in the, in the sport. Uh, I'm not really kind of back in the sport. I'm just kind of yakking here on a podcast, but it it has enabled me now to go to places like Russell con and, and JR's, uh, being with JR on his show. So I guess I am back into it as far as the fans are concerned as well.
0: Well, we're glad you're back, man. You know, you're, you've been gone too long. This is where you belong the whole time, and if it took the podcast to make it happen, then I'm glad I got to be at least a small part of that. So welcome back, and now let's talk about what fucking drove you off, what everybody voted for this week. It's the last Monday Nitro, and we've already kind of covered this from the WWF perspective. So if you missed it, go check it out in the archives, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Prichard. The last Nitro is there, and that kind of tells you the WWF side of things, and it would make a nice companion piece for this. But now, what happened when you were there the whole time? What happened when you found out this was the very last Nitro? So, Tony, let's kind of start at the beginning. When did you know, oh, shit, this thing is is headed down quickly? When did you first know that the Titanic had been struck? Okay, I'm I'm going to say this, uh,
1: and this is something that I firmly believe. Uh, I knew the Titanic was in the water heading for the iceberg from the very first day that I came back to WCW from the WWF in April of 1990. Of People laugh at that, and but uh, Lois will uh, back me up on this, although I'm not going to ask her to come back me up on it today because I don't want to see her. But uh, she'll back me up on this. There was not a day that I didn't come home from work when I first came back to the W from WCW. WWF to WCW, that I didn't think that the, as I would like to say, the uh, sheriff is going to put the lock on the door and consider us out of business. I thought we were that bad, and I thought that things were that bad. I, I didn't know if, if Turner had a real commitment in it. I knew it was mismanaged, uh, and I'm talking about now Jim Hurd in the Jim Hurd days when I first came back. I knew from my experience in only one year at the WWE, there is no way that we can compete with that. So I really thought that we were eventually going to go out of business. I just didn't know when Eric Bischoff came along. Eric had a vision. Eric had an idea and Eric was organized and we started to really do good things. Uh, So just to let you know, when did I, when did I know we hit the iceberg? We had a, uh, we had a guy who worked with us. He was one of the sensors. you know, Turner brought, took, couple of guys with us as sensors and they're guys that every time that we would come up with something like when uh Vince Russo would come up with something and have this storyline we would go to the sensors who were traveling with us and ask them can we do this and they would massage it a little bit and say yes or no and then we would uh we would go with it. one's name was Galen he was a good guy uh, the other one was uh, Tom Glavin's brother. Really, Hall uh, of Famer Tom Glavin's brother. They were both good guys. Galen called me one night and he said that uh, Turner has decided they're not going to carry wrestling anymore uh, at the house. And uh, that was that may have been the week before that that Nitro. Not I mean, in the actual storyline. I Don't know when that was. Uh, I knew right then we were we were done. We had heard up until then that that Bishop was going to buy it, right, and was going to put uh, was going to keep uh, uh, WCW on TBS. Uh, that uh, I, I didn't understand how that would how that would all work together at that time, uh, and even when we went to the very last Nitro, I wasn't sure what Vince had plans for. I didn't know if he was going to still, you know, what. If Nitro was going to still be alive, if I was going to be part of Nitro, move it over to another network or not. But when I got that call from Galen, uh, who was our, one of our censors and a good guy, I knew the end was near for, for uh, WCW being a Turner Broadcasting entity because even I'm thinking now, if Eric bought the thing, where would he air the thing? Right. So uh, that's when I knew. So let's kind of run through that.
0: Uh, and bit. I was pretty upset, by the way, as you might imagine. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bischoff left WCW in the fall of 99, and then he he comes back in the spring of 2000. And when he comes back, this AOL-Time Warner merger had already went down. And at least in Eric's estimation, he didn't think that WCW would survive this. So he starts pitching Siegel, Brad Siegel, on selling it. And then eventually, by late 2000, Siegel agrees to let Eric shop for a deal. When do you first know that Eric is looking to put together investors? Do you know that by late 2000? No, I don't. Or are we into 2001 before you know? Yeah, we're into 2001 before
1: I know. I didn't know that at all. So you the, know, it's, and again, I i think I've said this before. When things started to go badly, and, and as we know around that time things were going badly, we were bleeding money, I tried to stay out of the loop. Right. Because as much as as you, if you keep your ear to the grindstone and you hear how badly things going, then you're feeling worse, right? Yeah. So you try to remove yourself from it. So I try to do that. I mean, when I got that call from uh, that sensor that night, uh, the logical thing to do would be pick up the phone and call Eric. But I I didn't want any part of it. You know, I didn't, I just said, fuck it, which is what I said about a lot of things. So, so I, I didn't, I didn't know that was going down.
0: Supposedly, um, Bischoff finds the money sooner rather than later, and he finds it with Brian Bedal and Steve Greenberg of the Fusion Media Ventures, and they had actually started the Classic Sports Network and then sold it to ESPN, and they made a bunch of money doing that, like $175 bucks or so. So eventually, Bischoff winds up raising around $67 million to purchase WCW. But then there's some negotiation as to whether or not TBS will continue. Turner broadcasting systems will continue to air the product. And when Ted Turner hears that, maybe there's an offer on the table to sell WCW, he's kind of fired up and doesn't want the programming to wind up with the Fox networks with his rival, Rupert Murdoch. Do you remember hearing conversations about that, Tony, that, turner was no longer kind of at the helm but he wanted to make sure that the programming didn't wind up with rupert no i never heard that as a matter of fact i just heard the opposite that
1: ted was was completely removed from it and had no say so in it at all Uh, i think if ted had some say so in it that maybe we'd have still been still been around
0: yeah it's unfortunate that uh Ted was no longer at the helm right now for those of you who are keeping score at home in 2000 WCW was hemorrhaging cash to the point where they lost around 60 million and they start cutting stuff as much as possible even to the point of doing away with house shows and then eventually combining the Nitro and Thunder tapings and at the time Nitro was averaging a 2.4 rating for the last quarter of 2000. And then even in 2001, they're doing a 2.1. So not that horrible, even by today's standards. But the creative, of course, was really bad. And most people would probably rather forget most of 2000 and 2001 WCW. Uh, As a frame of reference, though, just for what the popularity was, WCW Magazine had around 47,000 subscribers at the end. Tony, do you remember giving a shit one way or another about WCW Magazine? only to the point to where they asked me to write for them, and I did write some things for them, but did I give a shit about it? Absolutely not. Why do you think that the magazine wasn't a bigger deal with WCW? It felt like the WWF did a really uh, better job promoting their magazine. If it wasn't going to be a priority with WCW, why did they even have it? Just because the WWF did?
1: Yeah, that's a reason. And, uh, again, uh, w, uh, the WWF knew how to promote things, and we did not. Right. As a matter of fact, I can remember sometimes on the shows, the only time where we would promote the WCW magazine would be when I would remind them to show a graphic of it, open it, show the pages as it opens up. Cause I remember back in the old WWF days when I was back there, how they did a great job of promoting their magazine, the, promoting the video cassettes, promoting whatever on their shows. And that was always a part of their meetings. When Vince held meetings back then, he would say, we're going to, during this match, show a reveal of the magazine or we are going to show the box of Coliseum videos, uh, you know, best of WrestleMania. He would have that in the meeting. That was not a part of the thought process of WCW back then. And there was a lot of times I would have to go in and say, you know, let's, uh, hey, let's promote the magazines here, you bunch of dumb fucks. I didn't really say it like that, but that's what I was thinking. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the magazine was kind of an off, an afterthought and if you're going to do it, you should do it right. Am I right?
0: No, I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree.
1: I uh, sound like I had all the answers for the, for the company. Don't I? I guess if I did, we'd still be alive today, but.
0: Well, listen, here's the deal. At the time, everybody was along for the ride and everybody was trying to, keep their spot and protect their income and not ruffle any feathers. And it was a super <laughs> political climate. And mm. you guys had a new boss every fucking 13 weeks. So I get why yeah. people would say, nope, I'm going to cash my check. See you later. Yeah. that's, that's kind of what I was doing too. Um, there's lots of rumors out there about other people who were interested in buying the product besides just Bischoff. Do you remember ever hearing about Jerry Jarrett trying to put together a deal? I do not. I, I only remember Bischoff. That's the only one I remember remember hearing about. Well, he holds a conference call on January 11th. It's Bischoff and Siegel, and they're announcing a deal. Uh, Siegel says that Turner never planned to sell, but the offer's poured in, including one from the WWF. They also got one from Jerry Jarrett and, of course, Eric Bischoff. The very same day the AOL-Time Warner merger goes down, And one of the new demands from the Time Warner side is allegedly a 12.5% stake in the company for profit sharing, but no financial obligation should the company incur losses. So that's obviously a major wrinkle in the deal. Do you remember hearing there being some sort of, we want out of this thing, but we'd still like some money? Do you remember hearing that argument from that side, or was that something that never made its way down? It never made its way down.
1: I I don't think that... As far as the the people who really put the show together, I'm not so sure any of the, the numbers, any of the financial numbers and considerations and contract
0: uh, uh, things
1: really trickled down to us at all.
0: One of the things that was uh, reported in the dirt sheets at the time was the Bischoff's plan was to move the company to Los Angeles and Las Vegas and do weekly tapings at the Hard Rock Cafe, who were building an arena at the time, and he had planned to kind of shut the company down and go dark for a bit with no shows in April whatsoever. Uh, He called it the Big Bang, and then they would do their very first pay-per-view on May 6th. And this even gets to the Variety magazine, which is a trade magazine for entertainment, and they report that Fusion had plans to try to work with the WWF on cross-company pay-per-views. And at this time, lots of the boys start to get nervous about what's real and what's not. Because this is very much a business where everybody kind of wonders, hey, is that on the up and up or is that a work? Um, And some of the Fusion folks start making calls to the big money players with guaranteed contracts and asking them to take a 50% pay cut. Uh, Those guys who get the calls are names like the Steiners, Kevin Nash, Sting, Bill Goldberg, Ric Flair, Diamond Dallas Page, Booker T, Lex Luger, Lots of big names who are getting this call. Do you remember hearing Bischoff's plan about Los Angeles and Las Vegas and the Hard Rock Cafe or about him going dark and then coming back with a May six pay-per-view? I remember uh, the hearing about him going dark and coming back with the May six or, or a pay-per-view.
1: I wasn't sure of the date. I never heard about L.A. and Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, however, uh, I would have been
0: for that. Yeah, come on. Come on. Go out west. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that, you know, there's lots of controversies about is fusion calling and asking the guys to take a pay cut. Of course, nobody says, sure, I'll come. Even though I have a contract, I'll let you out of it and just I'll take half as much. So rather Hmm. than sit home and make my full money, I'll come to work for half the money. Nobody fucking jumps on that. I wonder why. (laughs) Um, Talk me through... Did you hear that as being a pitch, or is, does that make its way around the back at all? It makes its way around the back, but I uh,
1: I never talked to, like, uh, Goldberg or Sting or Nash that even admitted that they received a phone call from Fusion. Okay. Uh, I, I do remember us discussing that, well, if Eric gets the company and the company is run by somebody else, uh, are they going to pay these, this big money, this big, uh, this, these salaries. Uh, but, uh, I, I never remember that happening. You know, again, I, I know you're asking me these questions. And again, I go back to this one thing again, that i tried to keep away from all that as much as I could. The more you heard, the more you were kind of sick to your stomach. You didn't want to hear about how bad the company was. I mean, you, you said just a few moments ago that, uh, we were what in 2000? We lost sixty million dollars. Yeah, Jesus. Had I heard that back then, I may have put a gun to my head. <laughs> so I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to stay away from all that stuff.
0: So let's uh, let's kind of go down the rabbit hole of this deal. All the, right. the due diligence starts on this deal that Fusion Media is putting together, and they expect it to be 45 to 60 days, but by March, it's still not done. So what we're saying there is they had made a deal in theory, and we're going to pay X amount of dollars, and for that, we're going to get X amount in return, but they wanted to kind of have an opportunity to comb through all the deals, all the liabilities, all the receivables, so they could see what the income expectation is, what's coming in, and then what's going out. So now that we've agreed to buy the thing for X amount of dollars, let's make sure we can actually make money with it. And then all of a sudden, two days before the March 18th pay-per-view, ironically called greed, uh, Jamie Kilner, the new CEO for Turner broadcasting announces that they want to focus on comedy and sports to make the network more quote unquote high end. So nitro and thunder were canceled effective at the end of the month. That's March. Uh, this all happens with Eric and Siegel both on vacation so WCW starts giving guys their 90-day notices at this point, point. and at the pay-per-view, everyone starts to think this is the end, and allegedly, according to the dirt sheets, it gets so bad that Bagwell and Luger just walk out for a while. Somebody uh, convinces them, hey, this is stupid. If you have a contract and you walk out, then you have violated the contract, and they can can your ass. But if you show up to work, they'll have to honor it. And this is all being handled... For Eric Bischoff by Johnny Ace, who we all know now would become very powerful with the WWE, but he was, he was kind of Eric's right-hand man here for WCW. What do you remember about this notice coming out right before greed that the shit's canceled and the chaos that ensued backstage at greed? Uh, I don't
1: know anything about the chaos that ensued, but I I knew that we all knew that it was canceled. I had gotten the call even before. Uh, WCW Greed. Uh, I don't remember hearing about Bagwell and Luger walking out. Was that actually when the show uh, was underway? It may have been, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of crazy shit that went on once we were on the air that we've discussed uh, throughout the weeks here. Uh, That could have been it. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if they were trying to make a stand that they would make it once they're on the air. So... That wouldn't surprise me.
0: TBS spokesman Jim Weiss said in the New York Times, basically we've decided that professional wrestling in its current incarnation is not consistent with the upscale brands we've built at TNT and TBS. Therefore, we will not be carrying it. Hmm. Do you remember reading about this or hearing about this or when does it start to become public knowledge? What are people in your life saying to you about, oh, fuck, what are you going to do? Well, uh, people in my life are not saying that.
1: Uh, I always thought that I would have a job somewhere. Uh, I never wondered if I never thought I would make the money that I made in wrestling. But what it, what it, what's uh, interesting about the comment is that professional wrestling in its current incarnation—what would that say? What would that mean?
0: Well, in my head, it think? means that it had been so, uh, you know, once Silly? When, well, trashy, raunchy. Um, okay. You know, it was not necessarily – I don't know the right word to say.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it's a bullshit statement. That's number one. Uh, And I can understand about trashy incarnation, uh, but the upscale brands we built at TNT and TBS, right? Okay, bullshit to that. (laughs) Number one, big bullshit to that. And number two, if they wanted to have professional wrestling in a different incarnation, they could have had it. They could have had anything they wanted to. Right. So that that's why that's a bullshit line. Here's the deal. They wanted to, as soon as Jamie Kellner was uh, in charge, they wanted to shit can it and it didn't matter what money it would make for them. They didn't like it. They didn't like pro wrestling Kellner Didn't like it. The AOL people didn't like it. And. As we know by now, as history will show us, uh, the AOL people, especially Jamie Kellner, were the biggest fucking idiots that ever walked the face of the earth.
0: Well, tell us how you really feel. Yeah, fuck them.
1: How do you sell How do you sell the entire library for what was it? What was the reported sale for the library? Couple Am I million. getting ahead of us here?
0: No, well, it's a couple million.
1: A couple million. How much do you think Vince has made on that library? Couple a couple million? A multiple of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So why don't you just take the library and say, you know what? Uh, Basically, we've decided that professional wrestling in its current incarnation is not consistent with the upscale brand that we built at TBS and TNT. Therefore, we will not be carrying it. However, we will keep the library. And we have enough forethought to know that it's going to make a lot of money for us down the road in DVD sales or videotape sales, and then, of course, even down further down the road in digital sales. No, they were two big dumb fucks to know that. See, that's what – that's a, that, looking back on it, that's what pisses me off about the whole thing, Conrad.
0: Was the amount of money it was sold for is what pissed yes. you off? yes.
1: I mean, you're letting guys like – I don't know who Jim Weiss is. Uh, I'm not so sure where uh, Brad Siegel falls in all this, although Brad was good to me. But you got Jamie Kellner. How can a guy like Jamie Kellner be considered an executive when he lets all this money slip away, when he did not have enough vision to know where the, the TV business would be in all these years down the road? just blows me away. I mean, forget about closing WCW. Talk about how much money the library is worth. How much money the library is worth.
0: The next day after this New York Times statement uh, is a Monday Nitro, and Bischoff calls into the show. He's not there, and he says something along the lines of, many of you know that for the past six months, I've been working with a group of people whose goal it was and is to acquire World Championship Wrestling and to grow it once again to become a competitive, dominant wrestling organization worldwide but recently, we've hit a couple of roadblocks that may be, in fact, brick walls. Tony, you're there for this show when this call comes in. Uh, when you hear Bischoff make this statement with this sort of defeated tone of voice, do you know that's the end right there? No. No, I don't.
1: No. I, I mean, I was—I thought he was still trying. Right. And I held out hope that... Uh, that he in effect would
0: uh, would come up with something. So the Thursday before the Final Nitro, March 22nd, it's announced that the WWF has purchased WCW and the Wall Street Journal covers it the next day in their Friday edition. That's March 23rd. Supposedly, the executives and attorneys worked until the wee hours of Thursday morning to get a short form agreement in place, and the speculation at the time was that it was 10 to 15 million dollars, and that's what was being reported. But now, in recent years, we've heard that number fluctuate between 2 and 4 million. Most people thinking more closer to that $2 million number. Mm. Uh, He announces that the next week will be Night of Champions. This is Bischoff on Nitro. And he invited all of the former champions to come to the final WCW broadcast. Wow. That's weird to say. Uh, And the penny-pinching at this point is so out of control according to the rumor and innuendo that Brad Siegel insisted on personally approving travel and talent for the final show. And they even go so far, according to the dirt sheets to lock the office down, to make sure that nothing is stolen. And there are reports of security checking briefcases and even frisking office staff as they, as they left. And some people allegedly find a workaround and just start mailing stuff to themselves. Oh, geez. Tony, you were there. Uh, who
1: came up with Who came up with
0: this? Well, here, here's the thing. I've talking. I've spoken to some wrestlers over the years who admitted that when this comes down, they kind of help themselves a little bit. Really? Do you remember there being any sort of concern that the villagers were going to start running off with stiff? Uh
1: no, I I stopped going in the office. Okay. Around this time, I kind of said to hell with it, and I stopped going around. I stopped, but th- this all sounds like a movie script. It does to me. I so you never? I mean, heard- this could have really happened, but I uh, you never heard this. As, but as far as the office people, uh, locking the office down and frisking the office staff, that all sounds like theatrics to me. I I. I don't know.
0: So you think it's the torch hyping shit up more so than it really happened?
1: Yeah, I I do. Okay. Or somebody just bullshitting them.
0: Well, that's always a possibility.
1: I never got frisked. Put it that way.
0: But if you would have been frisked, you would have liked for it to be done by Deborah McMichael. Am I right?
1: That would have been good. I would have shown up to the office early, maybe more than once per day for that, you know? Sure, I mean, you need to... See, I know what you're trying to do to me. What? Okay, but it's not going to work. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying you're to... You're trying to make people think I'm just an old fucking pervert, which I'm not. You're not? I just like beautiful women.
0: When I pull up WrestleCon.com right now, uh, Deborah McMichael is still positioned right atop of you. Really? I got to think that's a rib. That must be. Uh, that must be luck of the draw. Don't you think? Well, I don't know. Underneath you is Iron Sheik, so if you don't like what's (laughs) above you, he's going to make you humble. Uh, Before the show, AOL starts offering guys on guaranteed contracts who are earning less than $500,000, 70 cents on the dollar as a lump sum, and those between half a million and 1.5 are offered 40 cents on the dollar. But guys who were one and a half and over per year get 30 cents on the dollar. And the Torch notes that... uh, This is just where the negotiations opened. They were just interested in trying to cut as much of their long-term loss as they could with one lump sum up front. With the idea being, if you accept the lump sum, you can immediately go to work with the WWF and start earning an additional income. Uh, Nash is pretty vocal at the time, according to the torch, and says he's going to ride it out and then go to the WWF. But there's allegedly no interest from the WWF in the Luger or Steiner contracts. And supposedly Goldberg was making one point two, one point seven, and two point two with the time left on his deal. And when they called to make this offer, he allegedly very politely says, "Fuck off." Uh, do you remember hearing about any of these lump sum offers to guarantee contract guys here at the end? Yes, I do remember hearing
1: about uh, lump sum uh, contract offers, although I didn't hear who got what or who was offered what but i did hear and rightfully so that some of the guys were telling them to go stick it
0: did you uh ever have any sort of conversations about a buyout or what was the well you don't have to say the dollar figure but what was the terms of your contract were you under a wcw or an aol how much time I was, was left
1: a, i was under a wcw contract i would uh, they would sign me up to three-year deals I'm not so sure where I was in the final deal, but I was different because I was an office employee. I was kind of like uh, a bridge guy. I I got uh, I got insurance, just like office personnel did. I got four hundred one k, and at that time it was spectacular. So uh, they. They never approached me, put it that way. I was, I was lumped into the office personnel people. When the office personnel people were brought in on that Tuesday or the day after Thunder or the day after Nitro, I guess, when they were brought in and they were, we are, were told to get the fuck out of there, I was lumped in with them. So I was not considered a talent per
0: se. Okay. We'll get to that meeting in just a minute. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the final Nitro. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. been reported that Shane McMahon held a meeting and told the boys that there will be a WCW show put together and it'll come together over the next six to eight weeks, but all the details are not ironed out yet. And at the same time, Vince McMahon is holding a meeting at RAW to tell the WWF crew that this purchase would not affect their jobs. Talk to me about this Shane McMahon meeting. Were you at this? Yes, I was. What are your memories of... showing up now to nitro i'm sure there's been lots of uh telephone telegram wrestler in the week leading up to it and now you're here and and when do you know that wwf guys are coming when do you find out who it is and what did this meeting sound like that shane held i had heard that shane was going to be coming but we didn't know who else would be showing up to the
1: meeting uh at that time uh and i remember shane coming in and i knew shane from working there and he said that uh he talked to a bunch of us in production. Uh, I, I'm really thinking that if I go back and rack my brain about it, that I was kind of more in the production meeting uh, than I was in the uh, talent meeting. And Shane basically said, you know, basically that uh, that WCW is not going to end with this. Uh, and we're not so sure exactly where we're going to go from here. Uh, but uh, basically uh, – uh keep working hard. It, the same thing we were always told by everybody that talked to us. Brad Siegel told me this. Uh, Shane told me this that night. Uh, and everybody I ever talked to, just uh just hang in there was the word. And you know, and something will something will happen. So we were just kind of hanging in there.
0: It's not very encouraging, am I right? No, it's not. No, it's not.
1: Listen, it was not. It was not a good time uh, to be with WCW. And I'm not even talking about this final Nitro night uh, at the end of March. It was just not a good time to be with WCW because of all the shit that was going on. Uh, You know, uh, apparently the
0: dirt sheets knew more about my business than I did. And you felt that way at the time, not in hindsight, but right then. Right. Okay. Exactly. And,
1: uh... You know, if if you're involved in something like this and it's going down the shitter, and it's going down the shitter from something that was really really good not that long ago, and you're racking your brain to say, you know what, you know uh, how much of a part did I play in this? Uh, And then you do some little uh, introspective work on yourself, uh, and then you hear all these rumors, and just chasing down these rumors are exhausting. It's just it's not a good place to be. It really is not. So I remember Shane and and I know Bruce was there that night. And I remember just kind of just trying to focus this shit out and say, you know what? I'm just going to do my job and just, you know, i could run up and say, hey, you guys got a job for me. But I didn't. I I, I just, uh, that would be bullshit, number one. And number two, I was, I was exhausted.
0: Well, exhausted. I'm curious about that because there's a lot of people who wouldn't view that as like a cockroach move to go and say, Hey, do you have a job for me? It's a self-preservation move. Why, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go make the approach and make the pitch? I was exhausted.
1: I, I was, I, to, to be honest with you, you were fucking uh, over it. Yeah. Uh, and I was, uh, I'm not so sure, uh, how much I wanted to stay in the business at that time.
0: Well, there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned a minute ago that you were in the production meeting. I'm curious who all's in the production meeting. In my head, Johnny Ace is there. Bruce Pritchard's there. Do I have that right? Who else is there?
1: Mm. Uh, I'm sure Craig Leathers is there.
0: Uh, I, I don't know who else. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Let's get to the last edition. It's uh, March 26, 2001. Uh, It was supposed to be held at Club La Vila, but that doesn't wind up happening. Instead, it's in a hotel courtyard. And supposedly, the promoters who were putting together the deal with Club La Vila, like they had in the prior years, that deal kind of fell apart in the weeks leading up to this. Do you remember why or how or when it pivoted from being at the club to now at this hotel? I do not. Uh, Do you remember anything specific about the hotel that it was held at? Any fun little stories you can share?
1: Uh, I remember uh, by that time, the Nitro girls were kaput. And I remember coming out of my room and seeing uh, one of the Nitro girls uh, coming out of a hotel room and thinking that was awfully odd to see them there. And – I was just wondering if maybe that some of the Nitro girls were, I don't know, jockeying for a job. Were there to
0: meet the WWE guys. Jockeying for a job is a great way to turn a phrase. I know what you're thinking. That's not what I meant. That's what you said. (laughs) Hey, was was Klondike Bill at the last Nitro? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think he was. If he was, what might he have said about those Nitro girls coming out of those hotel rooms? He probably would have said, uh, knowing Bill, he probably would have said, I don't care
1: about seeing them naked. I just like to collect their panties after they do their routines. And probably would wear them on his head
0: the rest of the night. Who hadn't done that? (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's get to it. You know, I asked Bill one time, I said, Bill,
1: what would happen? Here we go. If you were with a girl I used to try to get him all fired up. I said, well, what would happen? I, I, I know I've told you this. What would happen if you were with a girl and she was completely clean, had no body odor or anything about her? He said I'd go tell her to put some sweats on and run about two miles and then come back and see me. That was Klondike Bill. He liked the, the s- He liked the smell. Yeah, the the dirtier the it, it's just that's the way he was. He liked the bodily fluids and smell. My God, yeah, I mean, I, my God is right. It's just there was no there's. I don't think there's ever been a man like him ever. If there was, he was never out front about it like Bill was with his friends.
0: Go get your uh, Klondike shirt right now, ProWrestlingTees.com <laughs> forward slash WHW. What would okay. you do for Klondike, Bill? Okay, um, but, but
1: still, I, I do remember seeing some of the Nitro girls there, and, and I, I thought it was odd that they were there. And I just got to thinking that, well, maybe they're here to try to you know, talk to the WWE people, WWF people about a job. And uh, that was the one thing that I remember about that day.
0: So, when are you told about this simulcast piece of business that's put together? Because this is kind of revolutionary, and maybe a lot of things uh, you know, we can talk about in this show, but, man, the idea of having a simulcast of Raw and Nitro, even for just a minute, is pretty fucking awesome. I mean, that's genius of Vince McMahon, don't you think? Oh, sure. Absolutely, it's genius. Uh, I, I know that leading up
1: to it, we knew it was going to happen, but... Exactly what my role would be in that uh, was unclear at that time. No one really said. Uh, no one really said to me in any production meeting that uh, once Vince gets on the air, that you and Vince, are you and the announcers would talk back and forth, or they would go back to you. I just remember when it happened, Craig Leathers or somebody in my ear said, "That's it. You're off." No more. So I kind of, I I knew there would be a simulcast, but what my role would be at the simulcast was not really clear to me until the end. Wow. Well, we'll again, that goes back to how we always did things. We did things on the fly a lot,
0: you know, and we certainly did things on the fly that night a lot. So Vince McMahon opens the broadcast and uh, it's a pre-tape done backstage at RAW, which is in Cleveland that night. And he announces here that he's bought WCW and that he's going to address the WCW fans and the wrestlers later in the show and that there will be a simulcast on both TNN and TNT. Hmm. Uh, And then we, you welcome us to the show. What do you remember about the start of the show here, Tony?
1: I just remember, I remember me thinking that. You know, in reality, uh, and I was pretty, uh, as, as I mentioned to you, I, I was pretty uh, just kind of done with the business at that. Time. I remember thinking for myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to make this as good and exciting of a show as I can. Uh, I, I don't know where we're going with this. I don't know what my role is going to be, but I'm just going to try to make this a great show. Uh, and I just remember trying to be even more exciting than than normal. You know, by that time, I was overhyping shit out of the out of the corners of my ass. So uh, maybe it was another night where I was doing that. I don't know. A lot of mixed emotions for me. But I do know that I was trying to make it exciting.
0: Well, and it was the very last uh, world title match we would see in WCW in the first match. It was the Night of Champions. That's what this had kind of been nicknamed. And Booker T would be challenging the world champion, Scott Steiner. Booker T comes into this as the United States champion. Scott Steiner, of course, is the world champion. He's got Medeja with him. Scott Steiner looks like a million bucks right here. But when you watch the tape back, you see that his left foot is taped up. We all know in years since that Scott begins to suffer from what is known as drop foot. Do you remember at this time if Scott was already suffering with that injury? No, not at all. I was not familiar with that injury. Uh, the match uh, I don't know if you watched it recently, Tony, but the match still stands up. It was a pretty good match. Uh, very decent. Indeed. Uh, Booker T gets the uh, win with the book and after roughly five minutes, uh, he manages to avoid the power bomb attempt and that's what kind of sets it up. What did you think of Booker T and Scott Steiner and WCW's last world title match here on Nitro?
1: I thought it was sensational. I, I thought they, those guys did a great job. I always liked Booker T. I always thought Booker T was a good worker. And Scott Steiner for uh, That incarnation of Big Papa Pump You know, that was That was Scott Steiner Scott Steiner was a freaking nut But uh, he was uh, he was uh, And and built and solid and powerful But could still work quite well I mean, let's face it The Big Papa Pump that we saw Or Scott Steiner we saw Was not the first Scott Steiner What they saw when the Steiner brothers Were tag team champions, right? Right He had changed a great deal Oh, by the way uh, I want to remind our, uh, our listeners here, if you'd like to be a champion, you don't have to risk your life against Big Papa Pump to do so. I was there many times there that I risked my life with Big Papa Pump every time he stood next to me. In fact, you can just go to leatherbydan.com and you'll see lots of belts that are available right now. Maybe the most fun thing about leatherbydan.com is that you can create your very own custom belt for only $9.99. For less than $1,000, you can get a custom three-plate nickel championship belt to your exact specifications over at LeatherByDan.com. Dan offers free shipping, a custom belt in as little as 10, count of 10 weeks, and he even takes payment plans. If you enjoy our show, WHW, What Happened When, please support our sponsors. And Dan was our very first one. Check out LeatherByDan.com and be sure to click our WHW logo for this special offer. And that's LeatherByDan.com. Hall, if you hear me slap dicks, and remember... The best reason to get your belt from leatherbydan.com is Dan is
0: the fucking man. Not mad at that. Man, I don't know. uh, You know, obviously we're going to talk about the Sting and Ric Flair match, but prior to the world title match, you guys gave an opportunity to let Ric Flair kind of have his turn on the mic and... He had a pretty emotional promo here mm-hmm. about, you know, Vince McMahon and this being the end and blah, blah, blah. What did you think of, of Ric Flair's last promo? And did you think this was probably the last time we would see him in a ring? Now, of course, we know that didn't happen. But given his status and, you know, as long as he had been in the business, you kind of had to think this is probably it for Rick, Am I right?
1: No, I didn't think that. Really? No, not at all. I, I didn't think that that at all. Uh, again, you know, it, it goes back to what you see on the air. A lot of times, I'm not so sure that I believed everything that I saw on the air. So even though it was an emotional uh, interview, and it sounded like it could be the end for Ric Flair, absolutely not.
0: Well, he, I, you know, he, I, he makes reference to the fact that Vince McMahon in the opening promo says that the very fate of WCW is in his hands. Mm. And, you know, he says, you know, something along the lines of, you can't hold Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk, Harley Race, the Road Warriors, Lex Luger, Sting, and of course, Ric Flair in his hands. And Mm -hmm. this sets up the match with Flair and Sting. Were you involved in the decision-making process for matchmaking at the time? Do you have any insight? Are you for Ric Flair, who hadn't been wrestling uh, on the program, were you for them kind of book-ending Nitro, because they were on the very first Nitro, Ric Flair and Sting. They were on the very first class of the camp- champions, Ric Flair and Sting. And now here on the last Nitro, the night of champions, it's Ric Flair and Sting. I was not in the booking for that, but I think that was a good move,
1: and I think that was a great idea, because the two could work. They worked plenty of matches together, and I thought it was a it was a, a very good way for us to uh,
0: to end it. Uh, somewhere in here they run a Macho Man Slim Jim ad, which I guess just for old time's sake, because Macho Man's not on the show, but it is WCW and they had a long standing relationship with Slim Jim. Um I'm sure we'll talk about Macho Man and Slim Jim in the future, but it is just worth mentioning. There's lots of commercials and video packages here on this show about this being, you know, WCW spring break and they've got Ricky Rackman doing video segments from the beach with the guys, and it's sponsored by one of the uh, 1-800-COLLECT-type sponsors. What are your thoughts of here on the last show? I mean, this feels kind of out of place to me. This feels as if it's just business as usual and look how great WCW is and blah, 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 rather than some kind of pre-produced packages about WCW. Is that... Why didn't that happen? Is that just something that we think about in hindsight? Yes, oh. it is. Okay. Uh,
1: and not only, I'm not so sure we had the staff to put together these pre-produced packages.
0: Well, somebody uh, put together uh, Ricky Ratman on the fucking beach. And, and, well, I think that was probably – and
1: that was sponsored, right? Yeah. I think that was probably done well in advance or planned well in advance, and they had to go through with it.
0: No, th- that makes sense. You know, just to me, it feels like it would be a pivot to say, hey – Uh, maybe let's not spend so much time showing Canyon and Ricky Ratman kissing girls on the beach. And let's talk about some of the great stuff that WCW has done over the years. And that would be more appetizing to a fan at home, but that's just me. Sure
1: would. Sure would. And then I can understand where you're thinking like that, but, but again, you know, it's not like we had
0: two months to get ready for this. The next thing we see on the show is Vince on the phone with his attorney and he's laughing at WCW, uh, for their last show being held in a redneck beer joint in the florida panhandle when you are you seeing this on your monitor and on your headset as it's happening and do you realize he's just fucking with us and or what's what's your thought process when you see that
1: no my thought process is it's like anything else on our on our show it's a work okay it's show business right sure i didn't take it personally as a matter of fact, it sounded to me, and I remember thinking this time it sounded like me like we're setting up a pretty good angle, okay uh next up but then again, we didn't know we didn't know who was be the, where where he was going to go with this, who would do what, but it all sounded like you know uh a pretty good angle that we were redneck and we were southern, and uh
0: I guess it didn't turn out that way, did it? No, it did not. Uh, the next match is Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman, part of the Filthy Animals. They defeat Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous, part of three count, and Kaz Hayashi and Yang, who would go on to be Jimmy Wayne Yang. Uh, Mysterio pinned Moore with a leg drop off the top as Moore hung backwards from the middle rope. And due to the pre match stipulation, the winner here is going to earn a shot at the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team title later in the show. Have you watched this match recently? It only goes about three and a half minutes, but it's high spots galore. What do you think of the match? Yeah,
1: I'm not I'm not in the high spots galore, as you know. Uh, but uh, I always like uh, Kidman and Mysterio a great deal. Uh, I never thought Evan Courageous was. Has Evan gone on to do anything since then?
0: Yeah, he's done a few things here and there, but I don't know that he's made a big splash in the business. Yeah, the landline, I, I never did money. think
1: that, that Evan was within the, uh, you know, like Mysterio or, or Billy Kidman. I always thought those guys were great. But, but again, I just, you know, I'm not into a bunch of high spots. I'm into old school storytelling, right? Right. Right.
0: Well, so you don't have to ask me about a high spot match. Uh, what about the next segment, which is, uh, this is on Nitro, by the way, and... Um, Uh, Trish Stratus is coming in to see Vince. Mm. You can probably guess what happens there. After mm. this match, though, with uh, mm. you know the stipulation, we know we're getting another cruiserweight match later for the tag team titles, but next up is a match for the cruiserweight title. This mm. time it's Chavo Guerrero Jr. taking on Shane Helms. And this is pre-Hurricane Shane. Uh, right. This is uh, post-three-count Shane, so kind of right. somewhere in the middle Shane. Uh, Sugar Shane, and he's defending. And Sugar Ch- Shane Helms. There you yeah. go. Um, is it, this is probably one of the better matches on the card. It goes about four and a half minutes, and Shane pins Chavo after a vertebraker to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. If you have not seen a vertebraker I encourage you to throw it in your Google machine. It's a move that you probably need to see to believe. Uh, it was a revolutionary move, and it looks dangerous as shit. What did you think of the vertebraker Tony? It looks dangerous as shit, and
1: I'm I'm surprised that we didn't get any murder breakers out of it. I, I need to say something about Chavo Jr. here. You know, I thought Chavo always kind of lived in the shadow of Eddie. Yep. But I thought Chavo was a great worker. Very underrated. Very underrated. Exactly right.
0: Exactly right. I, I always liked him a lot. Good kid. I find it interesting uh, that in this match, you have what would become three agents in the business because the referee is Armstrong who's now an agent with WWE. Yeah. Hurricane is an agent with TNA hmm. and Chavo is an agent with Lucha Underground. So all three with different promotions in 2017 all working behind the scenes as producers and agents. Uh so it goes to show you there is life after your in-ring work. Yeah, there's life
1: after in-ring work. If you want to uh if you love the business and you want to uh stick with it. And obviously, if you think about guys who are agents right now, those are guys who have stuck with it. I'm telling you, and I know uh, Conrad. You know guys who are agents as well as I do. That's not an easy business. No, that is a very difficult job to do. You got the pressure of the job. You have to answer to people higher up, and the travel is
0: brutal, brutal, absolutely. It is a a thankless job. You know, our mutual friend Arne Anderson. Uh, is on the road as much as every WWE superstar, but without the limelight and the pop of the crowd, but putting on a suit every day and working backstage, producing segments every day, and then hopping in a rental car and driving 300 miles in the middle of the night to the next town, clocking in, clocking out. It is a a full-time, unenviable position, but I'm sure it can be very, very rewarding when you see how some of these guys progress in their careers and to know that you had a hand in it.
1: Yeah, and not only that, if if there's a great match to be had and you're the uh, agent that set that up, then uh, I think we're saying the same thing.
0: Sure. You know,
1: you feel a part of that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh we go to commercial after this before you even have a chance to really tell us who's won, but we saw uh mm-hmm. Shane destroyed that motherfucker with a vertebreaker. Uh, yeah. When we come back, uh, Booker T is doing a promo with a U.S. title on one shoulder and the world title on the other, and he says he's not done yet, and he's ready to fight anyone. So this kind of uh, gives you an idea that he's probably going to be a big part of the transition to the WWF. Right. Next, we get another segment with Trish Stratus. This time, she's lost her jacket, and Michael Cole is here to interview Vince. and. Um, He's there to address the WCW fans' concerns. You can imagine how that turns out. Next up, the mm-hmm. tag team titles. Lance Storm and Mike Awesome are going to take on Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. And these guys are the natural-born thrillers. Uh, that's what they're calling Chuck uh, Chuck and Sean O'Hare. Uh, and they defeat Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. And Mike Awesome had been through a variety of gimmicks in WCW. This match only goes about three minutes and O'Hare pins awesome with the swanton bomb after the jungle kick from Palumbo to retain the WCW world tag team championships. What are your memories of this match or the players in it? Mike awesome, Lance storm, Chuck Palumbo, Sean O'Hare.
1: I always thought Lance storm was a pretty decent, although kind of plain guy. Uh, Mike awesome. Uh, if I remember Mike awesome, isn't isn't this weird, I remember when Mike Austin awesome first started, the only thing uh, fans would uh, chant would was, was about his haircut. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. What's the old haircut called back in the 80s? Where it's long in the back and short in the front? The mullet? The mullet. They called him mullet head. All the time. So every time Mike wrestled, I was thinking, what well, mullet head, mullet head, mullet head, which is a shame because Mike did some pretty good things. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that uh, he's no longer with us. He was always yeah. one of my favorite performers, very underrated. Uh, Lance Storm, of course, we know had a pretty lengthy career with the WWF. Chuck Palumbo had a good run there, tagging with Billy Gunn. Sean O'Hare would try a few different things in the WWF, including being paired with Roddy Piper. Uh, Now Sean O'Hare and Mike Awesome are both no longer with us. But Lance Storm is still very active online, if you're interested in catching up with him. Uh, Coming up next on the show, uh, we have got (laughs) Sean Stasiak and Bam Bam Bigelow. Mm. And uh, this is a tattoo match. Mm-hmm. that was put together uh, the week before. If Stasiak mm-hmm. loses, he gets tattooed. Mm. Your thoughts here? Boy, I love Stacy Keebler. <laughs> who, who doesn't, man? man? Let me just take a minute right here and uh, announce proudly to everyone that David Flair was the fucking man. Wasn't he the man? God. David Flair's the man. Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's going to sound like the same old thing with Shivani, but... Again, Stacy Keebler was a sweetheart of a person. <laughs> she was she, she was so nice.
0: Who's nicer, her or Deborah?
1: See see I knew you were gonna say that. Uh Stacy had the nicest, longest legs that I'd ever seen. Her legs were long and lean. I don't know where we're going here. <laughs> don't I don't know where either. I I can tell you that I got to know the Nitro Girl. So Stacy, of course, was a Nitro Girl at one time. What? No, she wasn't. Yes, she was. No, Stacy Keebler, That's how she started. But for like a fucking week, right? I mean, okay. Well, I well, I don't know if it's a fucking week. A week. It it could have been a month.
0: Well, I'm just saying it feel it feels like uh, she was not a part of that act very long at all because she was Mrs. Hancock in a hurry and woo roll tide roll tide go dogs
1: i but i got to i got to know the nitro girls uh stacy being one of them uh uh fire and uh spice and all those girls just kind of hanging out in the makeup department in the back i would just kind of sit there and they would have, oh my god have, they, <laughs> they
0: Makeup. You know, people are hearing this. People are hearing that you've been a perv since the late nineties. No, I'm
1: not a perv. I'm not a perv. Look, for the longest period of time in WCW, uh, Terry Boatwright, right, was our makeup girl, and Terry and I were good friends. Terry Boatwright,
0: her, her stage name was,
1: well. I don't know what her stage name was in the WWE, but uh, Mar- Marlena Goldust's wife, Terry, Goldust. Terry and that was Reynolds. a shoot. She was Goldust's wife. Yeah, yeah, she was Dustin's wife. Um, but uh, and so I would sit back in the in the in the makeup room and talk to the makeup artists back then because you know we had a lot of time on our hands and the Nitro girls would come back and get their makeup on and I would just kind of sit back there and talk to them and I would have my makeup put on and I got. Th- the, don't look at me like that. I got to know the, I got to know the Nitro girls very very well. I'm sure you did. And I got to kn- I got to know Stacy Keebler very well and I was very very happy to hear that she became quite a star after her years with Monday Nitro.
0: So, yeah, she wins her spot. They held a contest in late 99 for the next Nitro girl and in November she wins. And uh her routine is watched by like Over 4 million folks. People really Mm -hmm. dig it. She wins a spot uh, with the Nitro Girls and $10,000. But very early in 2000, they just scrapped the whole Nitro Girl concept completely. So that's when she's introduced as Mrs. Hancock. So she's there for a cup of coffee, uh, but not very long. Sean Stasiak, this is how we got started on this, beats Bam Bam Bigelow, avoids the tattoo, wins the match in a minute and 23 seconds. Mm. Uh, And then we go to a cutaway and we see William Regal talking to Vince and trying to talk him out of buying WCW. And he's rocking a WrestleMania 17 baseball jersey. It's important to remember that even though this is all going down, that Sunday is WrestleMania 17, the biggest WrestleMania that the WWF would ever hold at that time. Uh, so this is the go home edition of that show, which I think a lot of people kind of forget in hindsight. But they Regal sure do Regal kind of trashes WCW in his promo here at events, and I'm curious what your thoughts are sitting here listening to him bash WCW. You assume this is still just business as usual, or shooting an angle, right? Yes, I do. Next uh, segment on the show is Diamond Dallas it's an Page. An
1: Everything is will work to me. Remember that. Even this, Everything that I podcast. see on the screen, I
0: feel is a work.
1: Everything that I see on my little monitor, I'm thinking it's a work.
0: Um, next up is Dominell's page essentially saying goodbye. Uh, mm-hmm. He says he's loved the ride. He wants to know what's next. He thanks everyone who's been there for him, gives all the credit to the fans and says it's time to take this to the next level. So that kind of gives you an idea that he, too, is going to be figured in with the WWF. Uh, Then we get a package on the world title, the old WCW and NWA world title with the former champions. It's a nice touch, and uh, it fits in. We do another cutaway, and we see Vince saying it's about that time. Next up is the Cruiserweight Tag Team title match, and this time... It's going to be Ray Mysterio Jr. and Billy Kidman, who won the match earlier, and they're going to be challenging Alex Skipper and Kid Romeo with their winner becoming the Cruiserweight Tag Team Champs. Of course, Kidman pins Skipper with the Kid Crusher to go ahead and get the victory. And during the match, Shivani, you took Steve Regal to task for bad-mouthing WCW earlier in the show. And talked about how you had to put his ass over when wriggle was in the company. Is that a line that's fed to you by production to kind of keep the angle going, or is that nope. just Tony calling an audible? That's me calling an audible.
1: Uh and uh aside from uh the greatest night in the history of our sport and that'll put butts in the seats, that is a, a line or that is a moment that has been uh that fans have questioned me about uh, for quite a while. Uh, I've received a number of tweets from fans since then, and especially as of late, wanting to know, was I really upset at Regal? And was that me being very angry that the company was going under and Regal was in the WWE? Uh, And I have to say that I must have been a hell of a worker because I love Steve Regal and always have. Uh, He's one of my favorites. We still, Steve Regal and I uh, communicate back and forth almost on a weekly basis. We tweet each other jokes all the time or uh, text each other jokes all the time. And uh, I was, that was me working. That's what that was right there. That was me uh, on my own. Why not say it? It may sound good. It was me working uh, and me going on my own at that time. I was not angry at Steve Regal. I was not upset that we were, what were they were doing with the WWE at that time. I just thought that it would be a good retort from WCW towards Steve Regal, who obviously was burying our ass, even though he had made some money off us. So what I did just want to set the record straight on that.
0: What do you think of these turds of the belts that they're wearing here, these WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team titles? The, the, <laughs> they the, the turds. They're fucking terrible belts. Yeah, they are. Dan wouldn't make anything like that, but no, he wouldn't leather by com does not all for horse shit like that. Exactly. Uh, next, yeah, they were turds. Next up. We've got sting and they were, turd, uh,
1: they were turds on a night. Just, just floating with turds.
0: <laughs> uh, sting is up next. He's got a pre pre-taped interview backstage. There are bats kind of swinging around from the ceiling that have been positioned. He says, there's no way he's going to miss this night. As for the future, nothing's for sure. But tonight, it's showtime, folks. Another one of these silly spring break videos. Then we see Vince strutting down the hall. And now it's time for what most people probably remember most besides the final segment on the show. It's Ric Flair and Sting for the last time on Monday Nitro. Flair, it's come out, has uh, shown up to the building without his gear. Even though the WWF told him to bring the gear, And he thought he could talk his way out of not wrestling, but that did not work. When they realize he doesn't have his gear, Pritchard and company order him to get his family to package up some of his stuff, his tights, his boots, his robe, and then take it to the counter at the airport. And it goes counter to counter. They send somebody to the Panama City airport to pick up the gear. And now Flair is wrestling. And Flair says the reason he didn't want to wrestle is because he was out of shape and he was embarrassed. So the compromise is Flair wrestles in a t-shirt. So a lot of people have wanted to know all these years, why did Flair wrestle in a t-shirt? Well, that's why he didn't want to wrestle at all uh, because he just didn't feel like he looked good and didn't have a lot of confidence in the way he would be presented on TV. So he thought he did everything he could to get out of this, but ultimately still puts the match together. Sting of course gets the win after seven minutes, Flair uh submits to the Scorpion Deathlock. This comes after a superplex and after the bout, Sting helps Flair back to his feet, shakes his hand, and the two hug. It's a cool little moment to finish Nitro. What'd you think of this this end of Monday Nitro?
1: Well, considering that Sting and Flair uh kind of set the uh started the beginning for us. Uh, I thought it was a apropos way to end this, and I thought it was a very emotional end for both of them. And I, and I did feel very good about being a part of this match, and I agree with knowing that <laughs> Flair didn't want to wrestle in this match. I think, again, just showing you uh, what happened and them hugging each other, I thought it was a great way for us to end. And, again, I really wasn't sure that we were done at that time. I wasn't sure until the, the live WWE show uh, came on from Cleveland and when Craig Leather said, you're done. And I said, for the night? And he said, yeah, for the night. So, so let's I talk- thought it was a good way to see them shake hands and hug. I thought it was pretty cool. Again, I didn't know what where we were going to go from there. I had no idea.
0: So let's talk about that. Uh, a lot of people have wondered all this time, why didn't they give you an opportunity to sign off and say goodbye to the audience? Because you never really get that opportunity after the match. They just cut away, and it's the simulcast. But you never get an opportunity to say, thanks for watching all these years, fans, or whatever. Yeah. Um, did you feel like that was kind of shitty, that they des- no. that you deserve to do that? You're okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it.
1: Uh, when I was told by Craig Leathers, that's it. You're done. I took the headset off. I walked in the back and I know at the gorilla position there Shane was there and Bruce was there. I said something to them. I walked in the back and we had some some girls who had been working with for us for a long time. Wendy Turner was one. Annette Yoder was another and there was a couple other girls who worked in uh in uh in marketing and they were all crying in the back. And I remember thinking and this is why cry, you know, and I remember thinking, I'm, I'm relieved that this shit is over. And we were told to come in and I think it was the very next day, come in and we'll let you know where we're going to go from here. So we didn't really know, even though I knew that that show was done, uh, I, we didn't, I didn't really know if I had a job or didn't know what the future would be for me in wrestling at that time. Only thing I knew is that the WCW TBS days were done, right? And I was relieved for that because it was uh, it was not a good uh, it was not a good uh, final year for us, and it was one that uh, one that was uh, was pretty fucked up. And you can ask Lois, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in good spirits most of that final year. Because you just don't know. Yeah. you got so much invested in your time, money, and I've got kids in middle school, and you, you just don't know where you're going from there. So I had a sense of relief. I remember seeing the girls cry, and I remember packing my bags and saying, fuck it, I'm gone. I was out of there. And that was it for me in Nitro on WCW. But going back and saying, should I said, fans, i like to thank you very much for, because I didn't know. I mean, I, maybe I would show up on Raw. I didn't know. I had no idea. I do remember thinking a couple of things here. Uh I remember feeling, thinking about Jim Ross, and, you know, Jim Ross was uh, kind of run out of WCW. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that probably Jim's pretty happy right now, that he's on the, the right side of this war. Uh, and so I remember thinking about that, uh, but that's kind of all I remember. Uh, and I
0: just, I didn't hang around to, I just bolted. Did you watch the final segment on a monitor, or did you just get in your car and leave? I was gone, yeah. I was out of there. When did you... Have you seen the final segment? I have not. So, you never saw Vince get in the ring and do his promo and Shane and all that? Nope. Wow. Okay, well, I'll just run through this. Um, Real quick, we go to the simulcast, and Vince is in the ring and says, for the first time ever, this is being broadcast on both TNT and TNN. As you've probably heard, he's bought his competition. However, the deal isn't quite done yet because no one knows what to do with WCW. Ty Warner signed the contract, but Vince says he's going to sign his part at WrestleMania, but only when Ted Turner himself walks down the aisle at uh, WrestleMania. Mm. And he has to walk it down, and then he'll sign it. He says he's conquered wrestling, become a billionaire all by himself, and when Ted signs the contract, Turner is going to have him sit in the corner and watch what he does to his son. And this turns into a promo about Sunday's McMahon versus McMahon match at WrestleMania. Um, Of course, he's using this as a promo for WrestleMania 17. Uh, He brings up some WCW history and then brags about finally beating them all And then he starts to kind of ask the fans what they want, uh, who he should bring to be a part of the new WCW. And the fans start chanting Goldberg. Uh, Hulk Hogan gets a lukewarm reaction. Luger gets almost nothing. Bagwell gets a little pop. Booker T gets a bigger pop. Scott Steiner gets a huge roar. Uh, The Goldberg chants are cut off by Vince. Sting gets another pop. And then Goldberg gets the loudest of the bunch. Um, Vince gets back to business and says he could have gone down to Florida and given everyone a piece of his mind. Um, And, of course, what he's talking about is saying that they're fired. Right. Um, Anybody who tries to compete with him, including his son, Shane, will be buried just like WCW. And then... Uh, There's Shane in Panama City, and now they've got a simulcast with both broadcasts, Shane in Panama City, Vince at Cleveland, and, of course, we see that Shane says the contract has been signed, but the name on the contract is McMahon, but it's not Vince McMahon, it's Shane McMahon, so it's revealed a few days before WrestleMania 17 that Shane McMahon, wink, wink, is the person who has bought WCW and they, the very last Nitro ends with a graphic for Austin Rock versus Undertaker Kane trying to get you to switch over. So the end of the simulcast, Vince kind of pushes his luck and says, hey, buy the pay-per-view, and by the way, switch over and catch the rest of Raw right now. Uh, And that is how Nitro came to a close. And there's going to be lots of questions about Jeff Jarrett Because at one point, when Vince is doing a promo, he does a promo about Jeff Jarrett. And, you know, of course, Jeff's gimmick was to spell it, uh, spell his name, J-A-R-R-E-T-T. And Vince says that he's going to be gone. Your thoughts on any of that segment or the rumor and innuendo? Why didn't you watch it all these years? I'm fascinated that you never watched it.
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, A couple of things I want to say here. Uh, First of all, uh, this was with Vince talking about Ted Turner. Ring here. Uh, This is Vince's crowning moment. Sure. You know, Ted Turner, uh, or and I guess you can point to Ted Turner as the figurehead. Ted Turner had no day-to-day operation of our business as Vince had with his. So Vince for him, it was personal. And it goes back to what I've always said all along. When it's your money, it's a little bit different than it was. when it's somebody else's money. Right. This was Vincent's Vince McMahon's crowning moment to finally, and you know, he had an ego, he has an ego, but you know, to puff out his ego, puff out his chest and bury his competition once and for all. Uh, but as far as uh, this being the last Nitro and me not watching it, I, uh, we went to the offices of WCW, and I don't know when it was. It may have been on a Wednesday. And here's the whole story here. Uh, I didn't know if I would get hired or not. And I didn't even know when we went to the offices what was going to happen that day. That's how still things were up in the air. I remember someone saying, and I don't know who said it, it may have been Craig, it may have been somebody else, that if this, in fact, is the last day of WCW, Brad Siegel probably is not – doesn't have enough balls to show up himself and say goodbye. Uh, And they were right. Brad Siegel was not there. There was somebody from Turner. uh, It was Loretta Walker
0: from Turner's Human Resources Department. Do I have that right? Right. I don't remember the name. Supposedly, let me pitch this. I've read that they say, we're not going to hold this meeting at the office. We're going to hold it at the power plant. Is that right? Well, that was the office. That was the same place. Okay. But but they don't hold it like in like a conference room. They hold it at right. the power plant. Right. At the power plant. Right. And supposedly in this meeting, the WWF is kind of holding the meeting and tells everybody they're uh, welcome to apply and gives them all contact sheets with the WWF and says that they'll be making hires over the next 30 to 60 days. And exactly. Although Siegel had said he would be there, he's not fucking there. And Loretta Walker is there. Right. And supposedly you were there. So this is reported in all the dirt sheets, specifically the torch. Supposedly as they're going through the names and they're trying to pair everyone off with an HR rep, when they get to the name Vince Russo, everybody laughs that? Really, I don't remember that. Okay. Some, <laughs> okay. Some, some say they laughed and then they booed. And All then right. at the end of the meeting, everyone is sent to their offices, and that's where they find that boxes have been left at their desks. Right. And they're asked to pack their things, and security escorts everyone out. Does that have right. that right, or is that inaccurate?
1: That, that, that's, I don't, that is accurate with the exception of uh, – I don't remember a thing anybody booing or laughing about, Vince. There may have been a few Snickers. About that. Uh, a couple of things I can remember about me. Uh, since you want my uh, perspective on yeah. it. I showed up that day in a suit and tie. And I remember someone asking me. My God, you showed up for the end of the of WCW with a suit and tie. Why did you do that? And I said, because I have a job interview at 2 o'clock. Yeah. Which I did. The last uh, couple of months of wcw i was making calls everywhere in atlanta and i know based on my contract i probably couldn't do that but i said fuck it i'm going to look for another job because we're not going to be around much longer so i had a job interview with wsb radio cox communications cox media at two o'clock that day and was hired at two o'clock that day although it was a part-time job now that was 2001 by 2003 I started work, working full time for Cox Media. So I had a job lined up because I knew what was coming down. I also remember I wanted to say something to that uh to the WWF guy that was there or the person that was there there was a rep there, right? All right. And I remember turning the corner and uh I was going to ask the guy something or the person and and I heard Scott Hudson say, "Well, I'm sure Shivani's already up that guy's ass already." Uh and I remember thinking, "Well, that was and and I love Scott and Scott's a good guy, but I remember thinking at that time, well that's unnecessary to say something like that because I really wanted to know who I was going to con- contact in the weeks to follow uh a couple of things, to be very honest with you, because I had worked for TBS As an employee with benefits from 1990 to 2001, they had a spectacular uh, buyout, or if you – I don't know if it's a buyout, but severance clause, okay? I could take a lump sum of money for for 18 months at my salary, 18 months at my salary, uh, but I wouldn't get benefits. But for the next 18 months, I could continue to get payments plus benefits – And that would go through the middle of 2002. So I took that. So I was doing okay. You know, I was fine for 18 months. But I I had the job with the part time job at WSB. So I called and, first of all, called Vince's office and uh, was told I needed to contact Kevin Dunn, which I tried to. And Kevin Dunn's secretary at that time was a girl named Sue, and she said Kevin's going to call you back. He never did, and I would call again. He never did, and I would call again, and he never did. To the point to where I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting the message here, right? So uh, the the WWE uh, showed up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I drove down from Atlanta to Fayetteville, North Carolina. To talk to Kevin Dunn face-to-face. And Kevin said, how old are you now? I said, well, I was 40-something back and then. And he said, okay, you're not as old as I thought you were. <laughs> he said, I'll call you. And he never called me. And I guess to this day, I'm still waiting for that call from Kevin Dunn. Although I can tell you that recently, within the last year, Kevin Dunn called me. Uh, and that's for another story. And that's when I was – well, anyway – so they never called me back. I got the
0: message. I whoa, understood. Whoa, they didn't whoa, want whoa, me. whoa, whoa! You don't get to just skip. You started a story. What happened when he called recently? Okay.
1: Uh, I uh, I lost I lost my job with Cox Radio uh, last year, and uh, I have since gotten plenty of work. Uh, but I lost my job with Cox Radio, and I decided, you know, maybe I, I, I and I've, I've said this on a on an earlier version. Of our program. I love producing. I love being a television producer. I loved working on video cassettes. Back then. I loved just the backstage area. I loved being a producer. I always thought I was really organized. I always thought that I I worked well under pressure. Uh, So I contacted. I contacted Triple H. I contacted. uh, Vince's office. And told them. I'd like to be. I'd like you to consider me a producer of the WWE Network because that's what I want to do. I want to go just go through all that old footage, build television shows, come up with ideas about new television shows and new ideas of how we can do things. And they said, "Okay, we'll get back with you." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, right." Kevin Dunn called me. He called me at the house, and I'm thinking I should have done something smart say oh kevin i was expecting your call since 2001 but i didn't and he said uh vince wanted me to call you we appreciate your interest but we have all the announcers we need and i went god damn it kevin that's not what i want i didn't even i said i never made a call here about being i don't want to be a wrestling announcer anymore i want to be a producer he said well i said i want to work for the network i want to build shows he said well we certainly are looking for people to do that And then he said, I'll call call you. And he's never called me since. Uh, So I so when people ask me uh, on Twitter and I've said I've been blacklisted, that's how I think I've been blacklisted. I I think that uh, when I left Vince McMahon and I guess this is for another episode. When I left Vince McMahon in 1990, he was very upset at me and very mad that I left because he thought I was going to be around for a long, long time. And so did I. And I just pulled up stakes and left after a year with Vince McMahon. I think he's been angry at me for that because he was really nice to me and was really a good guy to work for in that entire year. And I also think that back then, to be very honest with you, I think my work was very, very shitty by the time WCW and Nitro ended because of the pressures of the business, because I had a million and plus producers in my ear all the time uh, telling me what to say. Uh, And I thought my work was shitty, so I didn't think... I don't think they want me with them anymore. So that's my feeling on that. I, uh, the night that I got the phone call from, uh, Galen and he told me that WCW would no longer be on TBS. And I knew that was the end. I don't know when that night was in relation to the last nitro, but I do know I picked up the phone that night and I called Vince and it was it was nighttime. And I called the number that I knew Vince would pick up, and he picked it up. And I said, Vince, it's Tony Schiavone. He said, hey. Uh, he said, are you okay? I said, yes. I said, and, and this was before I even had learned that he was going to buy WCW. I said, I'm just looking for a job. And he said, don't you, don't you have a job with WCW? I said, well, yeah, but I don't think we're going to be around much longer from what I've heard. So anything you can help me out with, I appreciate it. He said, okay, I'll let you know. And that was it. So I called him that night. Uh, So since that time, I I don't think I'm viewed quite, uh, quite well at uh, the WWE. Now I do tell you the night that I went to Fayetteville uh, to, uh, to talk to Kevin Dunn about a job. I went back and talked to Vince and Vince said, "Uh, you're always welcome here blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, it was very nice to me then. Uh, when I left the WWE for the final time and walked out of the office and signed my papers, he said, "The door is always open for you to come back." He told me that that time. Well, to be honest with you, I, I think I'm too old to be a wrestling announcer now, but I always want to be a producer. So that's kind of where I am with my WWE history. If people say, why do you say you're blacklisted? I say because all these signs are pointing to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've told you they're going to call uh, and they a never dozen did. times, and they never do.
1: Yeah, and that's fine. You know, I mean— I maybe it's like not so much they're
0: blacklisted as they just don't fucking uh, like you.
1: <laughs> Those motherfuckers don't like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we but, love you, Tony, and we're glad that you're not there because we get to do this podcast. So roll yeah. tight on that.
1: And the flip side of that is that, again— that one year with Vince McMahon is still the greatest year in my, it's still the greatest year of my wrestling career. Uh, and they were exceptionally nice to me, good to me, good to my family. Uh, and, uh, so I have no ill wills towards them at all. And that's another reason that night of nitro, I had no ill wills towards them because number one, it's a fucking work. And number two, I still didn't know, you know, where my, uh, uh, where my job would take me after that.
0: I know we're going to get there eventually, but if that was really your best year in wrestling, why the fuck did you leave? I don't know. Just being a dumbass. You know how much, do you know how much it cost to live up there, buddy? Okay. Well, there you go. That, that's okay. the answer. Hey, they were okay. great to me. It okay, was the best I'll, year of my career, but I couldn't make any fucking money.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Let me put it to you this way. We were, we could not afford to buy a house in Connecticut. Well, so who we can? rented a house. Yeah. And when we moved to Atlanta, my mortgage payments were $1,000 less a month than I was paying for rent.
0: Well, it's probably because you use First Family Mortgage, and you can too, at 1FMC.com or 888-425-0105, NMLS number 65084. Uh, So let's run through this. Vince has said that Siegel asked to simul, when he asked Siegel to simulcast, he was really surprised that Siegel agreed to it so easily. Was that shocking to you that the simulcast was approved? No, not at all. Again, you know,
1: Vince was in a war against dumb fucks. Yeah. Okay, and there's just another dumb fuck right there saying, yeah, go ahead.
0: Triple H gets credit for that idea, and of course, Vince pushed the envelope and runs a WrestleMania commercial at the end of Nitro, even though it wasn't agreed upon. There was rumor and innuendo that Bruce shot down and says that Shane did not have security with him, but... The Torch reports that Shane brought security with him when he was at Nitro, just in case. Do you remember that? I mean, No, was, there was no security with him. It was just Briscoe and Bruce, right?
1: Yeah, there was a couple of other people, but I think they were all, W. they didn't look like security people to me. Yeah, They looked like pencil pushers. Uh,
0: the word on Shane, at least from the WCW boys at the time, was that he was down to earth and friendly, just a good guy who didn't have yep. any intimidation tactics or wasn't playing any games. Do you agree with that? I sure do. Uh, I know, you know, I'd worked for the family, so I had known him. So, uh, Shane Douglas, supposedly no showed the event. Do you remember that? Do not. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, supposedly Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger were there, but left before the show started because they weren't figured into the show. Do you remember that? Do not. Tori Wilson, Bob Ryder, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Brian Blair, road dog, and Dory Funk Jr. were all reported as being backstage. Do you recall their yeah. presence? I recall their presence. I don't
1: remember, though, Dory Funk Jr. being there.
0: Um, a lot of the wrestlers believed that the WWF asked for the belt to be put on Booker T because they thought he would be coming in. Do you remember that being the common theme? Uh, no. I And
1: what the wrestlers believed was usually a bunch of bullshit anyway. Uh, so- you
0: know, that was all based on ego what wrestlers believed. Sure. There's lots of rumors at the time that the office would be the same for both brands. They would just use different creative teams and separate offices. Did you hear anything about those plans ever at any point? Yeah,
1: that's kind of what we all thought. We all thought this would be, we all thought that this would be a legitimate battle of WCW versus the WWE or the WWF. Uh, And it, it never came about that that way uh i don't and i'm sure vince made that decision based on business uh but uh yeah that's what we had
0: heard johnny ace was working as a liaison for guys who had worked with wcw and now the wwf sort of like heading up a transition team how was johnny ace during all this johnny was a great guy tremendous guy and i uh, johnny was another guy
1: that i called and but johnny would take my calls uh but never had anything
0: for me but I always like Johnny a lot. The Torch reported that a group of uh, former WCW employees had contacted a lawyer and they were considering filing a class action lawsuit against Time Warner, citing mental anguish that the company <laughs> had placed on them during the sale process. Did you hear about this bullshit lawsuit?
1: I did not hear about this bullshit lawsuit. However, anybody that would come up with this bullshit lawsuit is not the type of person you would want working for your company. No doubt. Yeah, were, I mean, that's just, bull, that's just saying that I'm too lazy to get a fucking job. I'll try to get some money off of whatever I can.
0: Uh, there were rumors that Bischoff was telling his wrestler friends to talk to him before they signed WWF deals. Did you ever hear yeah.
1: those rumors? I, I believe that because I think Eric still held out the possibility that he could have a wrestling company.
0: It's worth mentioning that Sunday was WrestleMania 17, and several WCW guys were shown in the crowd Stasiak, Chavo, Lance, Awesome, Jindrak, O'Hare, Palumbo, Ma- Mike Sanders, Hugh Morris, Miss Hancock, and Johnny Ace. All sounds like sold out 97 to me again. <laughs> On April 5th, ECW's parent company would file bankruptcy, and the same day, the WWF held a three hour meeting to deal with WCW. Uh, which Ross called very productive and said they were yet to hire any support staff. And the first WCW TV tapings for the WWE's version was scheduled to be done on May 9th in Trenton, New Jersey. And it was supposedly going to air on May 12th from 11p to 1am on TNN. And then they would go ahead and tape a Saturday night uh, episode and air it later live to tape. Of course, May 6th was the day that Bischoff's WCW would hold the Big Bang pay-per-view, but the Big Bang everyone was looking for didn't happen until May 28th when Lance Stormed jumped into a WWF ring to super kick Perry Saturn in the face, and the WCW invasion of the WWF had begun. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that another time, maybe with some sort of crossover thing with Bruce one day, but... Did you watch wrestling at all past March 26, 2001? Did you watch the invasion? I did not.
1: I, uh, I decided, and it wasn't because I was angry. People think that Shivani was pissed off of the business and was angry. I did some, uh, XWF stuff. I did an angle, uh, on TNA, one that's well-documented, uh, but I was just tired of the business then. I, I was tired of it. Every time I would think about the business, it brought up bad memories for me. And I wanted to go another direction. I wasn't mad at the business. I was all, I've always been in it. If you uh, go to Mid Gateway, you know how big a wrestling fan I've been my entire life. But the wrestling that I grew up with and I love was not the wrestling that I ended up with. And I was just tired. So I didn't watch it anymore. Scott Hudson called me and said, you got to watch WWF tonight because Eric Bischoff's going to be on there. Uh, and I guess that's when Eric made his first appearance on the WWF. I turned it on. I saw him on there. I heard him start talking, and I thought, same old bullshit, and I clicked it off. Uh, and I didn't watch it. First WWF event or WWE event that I watched since – uh, March twenty sixth of two thousand one was the Royal Rumble twenty seventeen January yeah. So, and I've gone. I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of looking on the WWE network, and I, I I read about Diamond Dallas Page and all the stuff he's done. I wasn't aware of any of that stuff that he's done with the WWE. Um. So. No, I, I stayed away from it. I, I wanted to go a different direction. I wanted to uh, reinvent myself. I tried to, uh, and uh, I think I did. Actually, uh, I've gotten some. I work with some great people in the University of Georgia, uh, with the Atlanta Braves. I work with Conrad Thompson, who is <laughs> who I just love. Uh, I got to know some people in Cox Radio and Cox Television, and. I've had a great life, man. I One thing Lois told me, and I, and I think we all know how how much of a uh, uh, demanding woman Lois can be when she's sober, is that uh, – I'm kidding, by the way. <laughs> uh, I remember her saying, she said, if Kevin Dunn calls and they offer you a job, you're going to go up there by yourself because we're not moving back to Connecticut. I remember her saying that many times. So maybe it was good that they never offered me a job, and I had to you know, uh, go a different direction here. But I'm back into it now, and and really, Conrad, I appreciate you bringing me back, and I appreciate all the fans uh, and and all their reactions to what this uh, podcast has been about. I love wrestling. I love the people in it. Uh, And uh, uh, some of the memories that we brought back during this podcast are not the greatest memories in the world, and sometimes when you have bad memories, you shut them out. Right. Uh and and actually as you're talking to me here some of those memories surfaced. Uh, but uh it's been a it's been a it's been a quite a ride for me. And it's gone full circle, hasn't it? It really it's has. It's gone full circle, you Huntsville son of a bitch for bringing me back into it.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're here, and I want to plug uh, the com. It's MidAtlanticGateway.com. There's a seven-part interview series with all of Tony Schiavone's fandom from when he was just a fan and then when he got in the business and now what's got him back doing a podcast. It's a seven-part series, all things Tony Schiavone, if you want some more insight on him. And, of course, you can follow him on Twitter until he blocks your ass. He is at TonySchiavone24 on Twitter. I am at HeyHeyIt'sConrad on Twitter, But the follow you really need to do is at WHW Monday. That's at WHW Monday. And the reason you need to go throw the follow in is because right now, as you're listening to this, the poll is up for next week's show. And we're doing something a little different for this week's poll, but I'm pretty fired up about it. We're going to go in order for an entire year of pay-per-views. Well, at least all of them that Tony was there for. It's 1990. One of my favorite years in WCW, a pretty underrated year, and we're going to give you those. Back. We're going to give you those poll topics now. Uh, we've mentioned this, we've teased it on an older episode. Capital Combat 1990 was Tony's first show back, mm-hmm. and it's notorious for what Tony? For RoboCop. <laughs> RoboCop was on a pay per view. Uh, the, the, the main event here was Lex Luger and Ric Flair. You've also got Doom and the Steiner Brothers, the Freebirds and the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express and Brian Pillman and Tom Zink, Paul Ellering and Teddy Long, the Samoan SWAT team, Tommy Rich, Mike Rotunda, Mean Mark, a.k.a. The Undertaker, taking on Johnny Ace, the Road Warriors, Kevin Sullivan, Cactus Jack, Bam Bam Bigelow. Poll option number one, RoboCop, Capital Combat 1990. Don't miss it. Uh, Poll option number two, Sting finally wins the world title. It's Great American Bash 1990 from Baltimore. Uh, that's what everybody's always going to remember this match for. But the undercard is pretty popular, too. Lex Luger and Mark Callis, a.k.a. The Undertaker. Uh, Doom and the Rock and Roll Express. The Dudes with Attitudes taking on the Four Horsemen. That's Paul Orndorff, Ellie Gigante, and Junkyard Dog against Sid, Arn, and Barry Windham. The Freebirds and the Steiner Brothers. Tom Zink and Vader. One of the most underrated matches, maybe in all of 1990, the Midnight Express versus the Southern Boys, which was composed of Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, a barn burner of a match, Tommy Rich taking on Harley Race, Doug Furness and Dutch Mantel, Brian Pillman and Buddy Landale, Mike Rotundo, the Iron Sheik, what a loaded card, Great American Bash 1990 is poll topic number two. Now here's another fun one. I loved this year, 1990s Halloween Havoc. This one's from Chicago. Uh, On top, you've got Sting and Sid Vicious. There's a fake Sting in 1990. Not 1996, not 1997, 1990. The undercard, Stan Hansen and Lex Luger. What a fun match that was. Doom takes on Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. The Junkyard Dog and Moondog Rex, probably a five-star match there. Uh, The Master Blasters, Blade and Steel, take on the Southern Boys, Brad Armstrong and J.W. Storm, Terry Taylor and Bill Irwin. The Steiner Brothers versus the Nasty Boys. That's an awesome match. It's getting no play online. It's worth checking out. Uh, The Fabulous Freebirds take on the Renegade Warriors, which is Chris Youngblood and Mark Youngblood. Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton take on the Midnight Express. And poll topic number four Let's round out 1990, Starcade 1990. What's notable about this one, Tony? You've got some great stories for this one, and I don't think people really grasp how fun this story is. Give everybody a little bit of a hint without telling the whole story, the full Monty, so to speak.
1: Very well said, Conrad. Uh, the uh, The story on this one it was in the uh, it was in St. Louis, and the story really begins after the matches at the St. Louis Airport
0: Marriott. (laughs) The black scorpion is involved in the story. And if you're not here, (laughs) you stupid motherfucker.
1: (laughs) How can you deal with this?
0: And shut the row brick and sit down. You're drunk. Basically, it is outstanding. It's worth the price of admission. Starrcade 1990, Sting and the Black Scorpion on top. Underneath, Mr. Saito and the Great Muda versus the Steiner Brothers. Doom versus Arn Anderson and Barry Windham. Lex Luger and Stan Hansen. On and on and on. This card is loaded. Sid Vicious is here. The Big Cat is here. Motor City Madman, Ricky Morton. The Freebirds, Tommy Rich, Michael Wall Street. On and on. Conan, Rey Mysterio, Norman Smiley. Lots of talent on this, all the way down to the opening match, which is still Z-Man versus Bobby Eaton. If that's your Mm -hmm. curtain jerker match, it's probably going to be a pretty fun card. So this is all things WCW 1990. Let's recap. We're starting with RoboCop at Capital Combat. Then we're going over to the Great American Bash, where we make Sting. Sting wins his very first world title against Ric Flair. Halloween Havoc 1990. How awesome is this? You've got Mean Mark. You've got Lex Luger. You've got Stan Hansen. You've got a fake sting. Pretty fun card there. Starcade 90, the black scorpion. So it's all things WCW in 1990 on our poll this week. There's only one place to vote. It's at WHW Monday. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do it, of course, is to support our sponsors. Check out blueapron.com. Use that promo code Tony. You're going to get a hookup on some free meals with free shipping. How can you beat that? Also, don't forget our very oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, LeatherByDan.com. If for no other reason, go because Dan's the fucking man. Why? Because Tony said so. Dan straight. And, of course, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. If you don't need a t-shirt and you don't think you're into a t-shirt, just cruise over it just so you can laugh at Klon Dick. You've got to go see this right now. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And one more plug for our great friends over at MidAtlanticGateway.com. If you'd like to know more about Tony Shivani, how he got in the business, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what got him back in, it's all available right now at MidAtlanticGateway.com. Anything else we can talk talk about or hype up for you this week, Tony? I don't think
1: so, but uh, I, I think uh, we are heading towards WrestleCon, uh, and uh, I know your ass is going to be there, uh, and so I'm going to get you uh, standing up there beside of me. Uh, and uh, But I'm looking forward to seeing everyone, and uh, i just like to say thank you for the trip to Memory Lane. It wasn't all happening. Let me say this. Uh, a lot of times I'm going to go look and relive the moments of whatever event uh, the uh, wins the poll this week, but I did not go back and look at the final nitro on the network.
0: I was wondering because you always do that, and so when I said right. my last segment about, hey, so you saw this, and you said, no, I didn't, I thought, yeah. woo. What's up with that? I didn't that? want
1: to see it. I okay. t- t- Just didn't, want to, just didn't want, to, want to relive that because it was the end of uh,
0: a bad era. It well, really was. Well, let's relive the good times of the Black Scorpion and RoboCop this week, shall we?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The RoboCop story uh, starts with Shivani saying, what in the fuck have I done with my life and why am I back here? And, and, and 1990 uh, ends with me and Ric Flair <laughs> at the Marriott. Uh,
0: one of you's not wearing pants, so there's a teaser <laughs> for you. Go vote in the poll right now at WHW Monday. If you haven't already, go pick up your tickets for JR Show. Tony Schiavone is going to be tagging along there. And of course, come see him at WrestleCon. It's his first major wrestling appearance. He did a little brief stint at the NWA Legends Fan Fest last year, but not nearly as many people go to that as they do WrestleCon. Tony would love to see you, and he'd love to pose for a picture with you, and it's going to be even sweeter if you're wearing one of those pro wrestling tees. And there's plenty of time to place that order right now. Get your shirt and your phone call before you see Tony at WrestleCon at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. But right now, Tony, as I look at my clock, I can't help but think it's about that time. It's about that time because,
1: Conrad, I noticed in the ring that Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon are there. Here comes Tony Schiavone with a chair. And in tow, here come the Nitro girls. Here's Stacey Keebler. Here is Shay. Oh, my goodness. Here is Spice. And here comes Debra. Schiavone's got a chair. Wait a minute. The curtain opens. It's Klondike Bill with a penny on his head. We're out of time. Tape machines are rolling. We got to go. See you next week on Monday Nitro. W. H. W. Tony Ciamatti signing the fuck off. The rule of-